0: Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Washera Community Church, and a special welcome to those who are visiting for the first time. Uh, we are a group of gathered Christians whose purpose is to glorify God through creative worship and meaningful worship, and to discover and develop disciples of Christ And we strive to love God and to love others. That's who we are. So welcome, and thanks for being here. Three, two, one. And when those lids come off those boxes, you have never seen such pure joy.
1: This is amazing, as you can see. The children's faces, they are excited as they open up the gifts for the first time.
0: What makes the gifts more than just gifts is the message that comes with the gift.
1: This is the opportunity for a child to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth.
1: Millions of children around the world are being impacted by these simple shoebox gifts. One box can touch not just the child, but the whole family. So we need to keep packing those boxes and pray for the children that God will use this in a very special way. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you.
0: Yes, Christmas is coming. This is our first, one of our first signs that we know that it's coming. So we do this every year and uh, Patty will have more information next Sunday for, for this. This is also uh, communion Sunday. So those who have not gotten their elements as I'm announcing stuff, could you raise your hands and the ushers will give you one. Okay. We got some down in here. Very good. Just a couple announcements. Number one is there's a lot of information on this. We're going to highlight a couple, uh, but there's a lot more information on the website as well. So, uh, I want to talk to you about the elder letter that came out as far as our proposed ministry changes. There's a copy, a hard copy out there for those of you who did not get it online. And if you don't have a computer and you would like a copy sent to you, just call the office and they'll send it to you. Uh, Leader nominations. This is the last day for leader nominations. If you look in the back of your chair, there is this nomination form. And you could look at that and fill that out and hand it in either in the basket or up at the welcome desk at the end of the service. And so as the uh, ushers come forward, we get to worship God with our giving. And we pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can worship you through our giving. You have blessed us so richly, Lord. We ask that these gifts that uh, we give back to you would be used to glorify you and to further your kingdom. God, we also pray for the missionaries around the world. Father, they are in dark places, yet they're proclaiming your light. God, we think of the Reese's who we, we sponsor here. Guard them, protect them, bless their ministry as they have been doing that for so many years. We give you thanks for them. I ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Sometimes, if you're watching me when I'm sitting here and worshiping with you, I'm right on the edge of my seat because I'm kind of like a caged animal up here, just waiting. But it's so good to hear God's people sing. Great to take communion together. Um, we are continuing in our study of 1 Peter. If you didn't get a sermon outline and you would like one this morning, this is just what's up on the sheets. The, you put up your hand, there's ushers that will bring one to you. Just helps you maybe in taking some of your notes. Um, I heard of something this week. I'll start, I'll start off with this. It was kind of funny, but also very thought-provoking at the same time. So um, they were asking this man who was from Europe, basically england he was from england and he was watching american football he was watching american football and he was asked what he thought about it because they play soccer there you know what what did he think about watching american football and and this is a, a very educated man but also a very religious man very religious man and he said well it looks to me like it's a series of prayer meetings followed by engagements of battle. So the series of prayer meetings would be when they huddle up, and then the engagements of battle would be when they line up on the line. And as the more and more I thought about that, the more and more I thought about that, isn't that true for us? That when we gather together on a Sunday morning, or we gather together in our small groups, we gather together like that. It's a series of, of prayer meetings. Of, that's our huddle. We've huddled together this morning because we know that there's a point we're gonna walk out of this building and there's a war going on out there. And there's a great war that's going on because the world is opposed to God and actually running in the opposite direction from him. And so this morning that the the scripture passage is going to bear that out, but I need to stop right now and say, Aiden, what's it stand up, Aiden, what's your biggest praise this morning? Amen. Amen. Yeah. We've been praying about that. So I've titled this the Mandates Keep Coming. Because what I've been doing is as we've been going through First Peter, every time it gives us a mandate, a command, something that is commanded of us as believers, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been jotting these down so that we would we would have a list of them and they just keep coming. Um, So here's the list so far with the new one. So mandate number one for us is that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Chapter two, verse nine, that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are mandated to proclaim him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's mandate number one. Mandate number two is so that we might follow in his steps. Chapter two, verse 21. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we are walking in his steps, in his ways and his words. And sometimes it's a stretch to walk in the ways of Jesus, but that's our mandate is to walk in those ways. Mandate number three that we covered last week, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Chapter three, verse nine. So there will be times when you are slandered, when there are times when evil is coming at you and reviling is coming at you, but you are not to respond in the same way as a follower of Jesus Christ. No, you are to give them something totally different than what's coming at you. You are actually to bless them. And when I say bless them, what's happening here is not that you aren't discouraged. It's not that at all. It's that you always keep in focus the person that's in front of you. And that person in front of you is someone that was created by God. And therefore, I'm to love God and I'm to love others. And so I bless them by not responding in the same way they're responding to me Because I see them as someone that God has created. Okay? Number four, which we hit today. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Chapter 3, verse 15. That's one we'll hit today. But first, let's read our passage in its entirety. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. So those are the verses we're covering today. 13 through 17, here's the reading of God's word. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word, your holy word given to us that we can read, study, and apply. We thank you for the word made flesh, our Jesus Christ, who was laid in a manger, laid upon a cross, laid in a tomb, risen from the grave, ascended into heaven and coming again. And we thank you this morning, Lord, for your word revealed to us through your Holy Spirit, our comforter and our guide guide us this day as we walk through these verses. In thy precious name, amen. Amen. So let's look back. We're just gonna take it like verse by verse today. So verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now this is a response to verse 12. If you just go back up to verse 12, he's quoting Psalm 34 and it ends with this. His quotation ends with this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So he says, okay, if that's the position of the Lord, if that's the position of the Lord in your life, that his eyes and his ears are open to you and his face is towards you in this very positive way, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, I mean, if that's the position of the Lord, who is there to harm you? I mean, if the Lord is on your side and the Lord's face is shining down upon you in that way, who? Can harm you if you're zealous for doing what is good. That word zealous is an excitement of the mind, and it's more than that, even of the mind toward action. And we saw that in verse 10 and 11. If you go back again, whoever desires to love life and see good days, listen to the zealous here. Let him, that's zealous, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek and pursue peace P- seek peace and pursue it that is someone who is zealous for what is good they they are actively doing those kind of things but this is a rhetorical question and lots of times rhetorical questions are given so that you give the obvious answer and we always have to remember who is this being written to this is written to first century gentile christians who are being heavily persecuted by the Romans, and not only the Romans, but also those who also persecuted Christ when he was on this earth. They're being persecuted on both sides. What would have been their obvious answer to this question? Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? They probably would have said to Paul, Peter, well, group two. I mean, the ones that are burning us on the stake, the ones that are making us uh, go into the lions, The ones that are putting us on a rack and pulling us in every direction, trying to make us say, Caesar is Lord. Peter is pretty obvious who can harm us. It's group two, group two. But then you realize, wait a minute, harm must mean something else. Harm must mean something else. And that leads you into verse 14. But even if you should suffer. So right there, you stop right there. See, harm means something else than suffer. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled here's a big statement well just just to make it that suffering we may suffer but not be harmed. We may suffer but not be harmed God's people being god's people, and that's probably that being there is probably the most important word god's people being. God's people, God's people being God's people means God's people who are following the mandates that he has given to us will suffer in the physical realm, but will not come to harm in the spiritual realm. That's the difference between what he's distinguishing here between harm and suffering. That yes, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be times when you will physically suffer. And he's gonna point it out over and over again in his book here, but you will not come to harm spiritually. You will not come to harm spiritually. Uh, You can't help but think that Peter is pulling off of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which he heard probably many times. Chapter five, verse 11, Jesus said these words, blessed are you when people insult you, that sounds like suffering, persecute you, that sounds like suffering, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, that sounds like suffering, and then he gives the response, this is how you're supposed to respond, rejoice and be glad, yeah, yeah, like, wow, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that, but Jesus says, okay, when those kind of things happen, rejoice and be glad, and you're going, oh, wait a minute here, wait, wait how can I rejoice and be glad? Here's another thing. Just like suffering is different than harm. There's a different view you have on life because you're a Christian. You don't have a short view anymore. You have a long view on life. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Long view, long view. For in the same way, they persecuted prophets who were before you. And just to show in first Peter here, I mean, He's telling them that they're suffering. I mean, he's admitting they're suffering in chapter one, verses six and seven. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What are, he's admitting that they're having these various trials so that your tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result. Here's the result. In the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When is the revelation of Jesus Christ? It's when he comes back again. What do these people have? A long view. A long view. Chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20. He says, for what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? That's the normal thing. If you do something wrong, there are consequences for what you do wrong. That's just normal. But then he gives the unnormal, um, abnormal. Uh, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. So that, that's usually not the way it's supposed to be. If you do good, you shouldn't suffer for it. But even if you suffer for it, you endure. You continue on in the same path. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why? Because you have a long view of your life. Uh, chapter four, verse 14. This is a great one. This is going ahead a little bit. 414 says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are, and he says, blessed. You're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. Long view, long view. Verse 16, we'll come back to this one. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, see, Peter is, is not denying that they're being suffering. If you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Well, you, you got to have a long view. If you're going through suffering for the name of Christ and you're still glorifying him, you got to have a long view to be able to do that. And then chapter 5, verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, long view, long view, will himself, will him very self, his very self will do this. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So if you're beaten up and tore down and everything else, if you got a long view, you know that he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And it's hard not to read verse 11. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. So Peter is also doing something that he loves to do. He goes back to the Old Testament and he is quoted many times from Isaiah. He loves Isaiah and he's using some phrases here from Isaiah chapter eight, which he used before in chapter two, verse eight. But I go back to Isaiah chapter eight, verse 12, and listen to some of the same concepts that he's talking about here. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. This verse ended with do not fear. Do not fear them and nor be troubled. He says, do not fear what they fear and do not dread it or be troubled by it. Then the next verse is going to correspond with the next verse that we read. For the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard or you are to honor as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. He will be that place of peace. He'll be that place of tranquility. He'll be that place where you are refueled, okay? That sounds like group number one to me again, those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the stone that that God put in Zion. It's chosen and precious, but rejected by others. But he finishes verse 14 with, but for the both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall, and the people of Jerusalem, he will be a and a s- trap and a snare. Trap and a snare. So there's group number two again, those who do not believe. Now, let's go to verse 15, and you'll see these words again. When, Paul, when Peter says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. There it is. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. You do with gentleness and respect. Uh, my mind always goes toward alliterations. So that, like, there's a bunch of H's here. There's a bunch of H's. He says, it, it, but in your hearts, in your hearts. So it's an inside thing again. Remember, the inside affects the outside. The inside, there's a supernatural thing that happens to you when you are caused You are caused by God to be born again, and he renews you. You are born again. In your hearts, in your hearts, honor. That's the next H. Honor. That means to fix a value. You're going to fix a value on something. Well, what are you going to fix this value on or a person? Honor Jesus uh, Christ, the Lord. So you're fixing a value on Christ, the Lord, as here's the value. Here's the value that you're giving him. As holy, holy. And we know that's one of the commands that we had from Peter early on. He said, your conduct, your conduct be holy. Why have your conduct be holy? Because be holy, because who is holy? God is holy. And if we're followers of God, we're believers in God. If he is holy, we are to be holy. We are to be holy. So, but put in your hearts, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. The same holiness that you give to your God. Fix in your heart that Jesus Christ is your God. He is your God. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. You Yet do it with generous respect. Next to H, hope. Now hope's an invisible thing. It's invisible. You can't see it. What can you see though? What could these people see? They could see that this group of Christians did not fear them. They could see that. These people were not afraid. These people were going to the stake. These people were going into the arena. These people were not saying Caesar is Lord. They did not fear what they feared. They could see that these people weren't troubled by what was going on around them. And so what do you do when you find somebody who is acting just totally different than everybody else? You ask them, what is is driving you? There's something inside of you. There's something inside of you that's driving you to respond this way in this situation that is different than everybody else is doing. What is that hope? What is that hope? And he says, make a defense. And then he ends that with, do it with gentleness and respect. I thought this was interesting because he had said these kind of terms before, earlier in the chapter, when he's talking about the wives and the husbands, and specifically the wives who have husbands who are not believers. And he says, make sure that your conduct before them is holy. And in verse two, it says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, when they see your respectful, fearful, and and pure, holy conduct, respect and holy, go with God, so when they see your conduct based on your relationship with God, when they see it, it will have an impact on their life, okay? Now, in verse 15 here, he says, now we go from seeing it to saying it. So, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. So, somebody's asking you, then they're asking you to say something now, about it, for the reason, for the hope that is in you and do it with gentleness and respect. So not only do we show it in in our very conduct, but there are times we're going to be able to say it. And when we say it, we need to make sure that we do it in the same manner, that we do it in the same manner, that they, the words that we use, the, the direction that we give is in gentleness and respect. It's in, because I am saying this before my almighty God. It's because I'm saying it this way because of my God, because I have this relationship with God. Okay, verse, oh yeah, I delve a little bit deeper in this. What is my defense for the hope that I hold? What is my defense for the hope that I hold? Lots of times people might look at that verse and say, Oh, I need to know all these apologetic arguments and I need to know, you know, how how to explain this and this and this and this and this. But Peter has given us none of that. How do I, what's my defense for the hope that I hold? You don't argue with them. You just state the facts. You just state the facts. So if we kind of go backwards here, chapter one, verse three, I love this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. One of my defenses is I have been born again. I'm born again. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's one of my defenses. Next one, chapter one, verse 13. Not only did he rise from the dead, but therefore putting your minds to action and being sober minded so that you're fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did He rose, raise from the dead, I believe that this one that rose from the dead said he is coming back and he is coming back again. That's my defense. That's my defense. Chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, or you could personalize it, for the sake of me, for the sake of me, who through him are. I'm a believer in God who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that my faith and my hope are in God. I not only believe that he raised him from the dead, I now believe that he's coming back again. But I also hold on to the defense that there's a plan of Jesus Christ and that plan of Jesus Christ included me. And it was a predetermined plan that God gave before the foundation of the world. Okay. And you just keep going through these. Chapter two, verse 24 talks about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It explains out exactly that he went to the cross and he went to the cross as we sung this morning for the forgiveness of our sins. You go to chapter three, verse 18, it talks about the purpose of Jesus Christ. The purpose of Jesus Christ doing all that was that we could, he could bring us before God. That we could stand before a holy God. We can only stand before a holy God because of his Righteousness that hasn't been been imputed unto us. Okay? It almost sounds like puked onto us, but imputed onto us. And then the last one is, is his ascension and his authority. The position that Jesus Christ holds now at the right hand of the Father. That's my defense in Jesus Christ. That I am one who has been born again. I believe that he rose from the dead, that he is coming again. There was a whole plan that for me to know him and for him to sacrifice his life on the cross in my place, in my place, so that I might have redemption to stand before the father, stand before the father. And, and he is now in heaven right now, waiting for the day his father says, go get him. And he comes home. See, that's our defense of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the defense of the hope that I have within me. Um, We always keep trying to, Put Paul and Peter together, uh, Philippians chapter one and verse, uh, I didn't have it down there. Philippians chapter one verses 15 and 16. It Paul says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. That's, that's the wrong thing to do, but others out of goodwill. So thinking of others, that's why they're preaching it out of thinking of others. The latter do so in love, he says, knowing that I, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul, the great apostle Paul, says, I am here to give defense of the gospel of Jesus, of him. That's our defense. Uh, sometimes I'll take us back to uh, the thief on the cross. That is a beautiful picture the thief is on the cross. There's two two men on each side and Jesus is in the center. And at, st- at the start, both of them are railing at Jesus. Both of them are railing at Jesus, but then something happens. Something happens to this one guy and he looks at Jesus totally different. Now I would say there's something that happened inside of him. His eyes were open that, wait a minute. And so in verse Chapter 23 of Luke, verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Ooh, this sounds like a defense. He rebuked him. Do you not fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting our deeds, the deeds we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Whoa, talk about the defense of Jesus Christ. What did he just say about Jesus? This guy that's hanging on the cross has done nothing wrong. What did he just say about himself? I have. I have. And at that moment in time, he's turning and he's looking at the man on the middle cross. Totally different than he did at the start. Okay? Then he says those famous words to him. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Whoa, what did he just call Jesus? He just called Jesus a king. Because you can't have a kingdom if you're not the king. He says, will you remember me? And he, just picture that. He's hanging on a cross. He's looking at the guy in the center cross who's hanging there also. And he's saying, my life, my destiny of my life, everything involving in my life is, is tied to the guy that's hanging on the cross. And I'm calling him king of my life. And, you know, the last words here, Jesus answered today, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in, in paradise. Uh, Alistair Begg, a famous preacher, he talks about this passage of the scripture, he says, now, this doesn't happen, he says, but kind of in my mind, you know, like when this guy gets up to the pearly gates and, and they question him, you know, this does not happen, but they question him and they say, uh, how'd you get here? You know, did you, and you know, were you baptized? Did you go to Sunday school? Did you go to VBS? Did you, you know, he he asked to say, no, 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 it didn't do anything. He said, well, how in the world did you get here? And his simple response is, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. Yeah. That's our, I hope I played that enough. That's our defense of the gospel. That's our defense of the hope that is within us. Now, it's great to know all those other arguments and apologetics and all that kind of stuff. It is really great to know all that stuff. It is, because some minds turn that way. But your defense, your personal defense, is very much like this song, okay? This is one of those spiritual songs written in response to God. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, He's always near. You know what comes next. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. What's your answer? He lives within my heart. I can't help but think that Alfred Ackley wrote that hymn, and he did it on an Easter Sunday morning. He wrote that that song uh, maybe thinking of this very verse of giving a defense of the hope that is within you. Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile in your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. A good conscience, meaning meaning that that you are thinking, you are saying this in such a way because the other person is in view. This is useful to them. I've done this in such a way that I am thinking of them as I give the defense of the hope that I have within me, okay? Hebrews 9, 14, will say that again. It'll say it in another way of how God has cleansed your conscience. He's cleansed your conscience so that you can have a good conscience so that you don't follow the ways of evil. Even speaking about him, you do it in such a way. Having, and I put down the verbs, having a, when you are, so having a good conscience, when you are slandered, those who revile you may be put to shame. See, what Peter is saying is, okay, you got it down. You got the defense down. You got everything down. You got your attitude right. You got your conduct right. You got, you did everything. You got even the focus. You got the focus on that other person in the right place and everything else. And then he says, when they slander you, oh, wait a minute, I did it absolutely right. I did it with the right motives. When they slander you, when they revile, but notice there your good behavior in Christ. So while you're being slandered and while you're being reviled, what's your behavior still look like? It's good behavior in Christ. I mean that doesn't change. Why? Because you don't. You have a relationship with that Lord Jesus Christ who gave you the mandates that are there, and He says we'll put them to shame and. Sometimes we think, oh, oh, that's us putting them to shame. I am so good. I am so good. Oh, they're going to be put to shame because I am so good. No. <laughs> that word for shame there means it comes down from above. It comes down from above. It's not us that shame them. It's God that shames them. Okay? We're just an instrument being used by God at that moment in time for them to be realized that, wait a minute, here is somebody who has hope in something they don't have hope in. They don't fear what they fear. They don't, they're not troubled by what they're troubled. And so they're shamed. Uh, I took it backwards. Chapter 2, verse 15, it says, when your good conduct will silence the foolish ones. So they go from shame coming from above to being silenced. Pause. Hold off a little bit. Then they take it back to chapter 12 that we live this way so that there might be some of them who get saved, who will on the day of their visitation will also be glorifying God just like you are. So I threw this in here. God at times uses our conduct and our suffering for his life-saving process of others. God at times uses our conduct, our personal conduct, our holy conduct, And our suffering at times for being a follower of Jesus Christ and our reaction to that and how we respond to that in his life-saving process of others. And then the biggest verse of all, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. A lot of different ways to look at this. It is better to suffer for doing good than suffering for doing evil. Sometimes we look at that doing evil and think there's no suffering there. No, there is suffering there for doing evil. He's just saying it's better to suffer, uh, to, to suffer for doing good than it is to suffer for doing evil. It's already God's will that you, if you are born again to do good. That's a given. That's one of the mandates. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, our conduct is to be holy as he is holy. So that's a, that's a no-brainer. If you want to know God's will for your life, well, we know this part of it, that we are to do good. It doesn't save you, but that's the response of someone who has been saved. So he is saying, you might find yourself in a place of suffering for doing good, but it's still better than doing evil. Remind you again, he's writing to first century Gentile Christians who are, who are being fed to the lions, who are, who are being put on the stake and burned, who are being put on this rack. And Peter has the audacity to say to them, it's still better. It's still better. Keep doing good. It is still better. The suffering for doing good affects the physical temporal realm. And that word should be suffering there. I think I have it right on your sheet. That's the suffering. But the suffering for doing evil affects the spiritual eternal realm where that person is put to shame by God. Now, this is really where it's really neat, where you can take um, Peter chapter 3, verse 16, when he says at the end there... that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And then you jump over to chapter four, verse 16. It says, yet if if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in his name. There we go again. May I keep talking about those two groups? There's the group that is shamed from above. And then there's, The other group that is not ashamed because they are one of his children. So in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy in your heart. Honor the Christ is holy. It's an inside thing. That's what you have your hope in. Your hope is in this Christ that you are calling God. Have no fear of them and not be troubled. So much so that they're going to ask you a question. They're going to ask you for the reason that you have this hope and always be prepared to make a defense. Always be prepared to say it's because of Jesus. When you are slandered and those revile against you, continue in your good behavior in Christ and allow God to put them to shame. Because hopefully if they're put to shame, then they would be silenced. If they're silenced, then some of them will be saved. That is That's the whole goal. Peter is saying to first century Gentile Christians, this suffering that you're going through for the name of Jesus Christ could be an opportunity for God to get their attention, get their attention. Um, A a famous preacher, uh, I love alliteration. He went down through this this way. Verse 13, we are to have a passion for goodness. We're to have a passion for goodness. We're to be zealous. Verse 14, we're to be pliable in suffering pliable and suffering. But even if this was the outcome of it, we are in verse 15 to have a place for Christ, Christ as holy. He's holy in our lives. He is God of our lives. We are to have a preparedness to answer that we, we are the ones that we can give a reason why I'm responding this way. We have a pure conscience that we're always thinking of the other person. Because we are to love God and love others. And we're to have a perspective on options. That it is better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. Now, I want to end with this. Back to our mandates. But Peter, wouldn't it be easier um, I know mandate number one is proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Wouldn't it wouldn't it be easier to uh, just kind of soften that message a little bit? You know that proclaiming of Him. You know, like there could be other hymns. You know, but but couldn't we soften that a little bit? Wouldn't that be a little bit easier? Or or couldn't we? Yeah, I know you're, you're trying to walk in the ways of Jesus, walk in his steps, walk in his words and his ways and everything. But do you have to walk in every one of his steps? I mean, may, could you step out of it a little bit and then come back in? Or, you know, it might be a little easier in certain situations where I don't walk in the steps of Jesus. That could, maybe, maybe it might be better. Or if they come back and say, you know, the world is telling us, <laughs> the world is telling us, you know, they're expecting us to throw back some mud. And if we throw back some mud instead of blessing them, and you know, it does give it a little bit of satisfaction, you know? It does give it a, I remember arguing with my wife over this, not arguing with my wife over but I would I would get so mad about certain things, and I would tell her what I'm mad about. And she she didn't give me an inch. She, you can't respond back that way. But wait, what about me? What about me? I got to have some satisfaction here. Yeah, that would feel a lot better. Or the last one, a defense of the gospel, a defense of the hope that is within you. Yeah, but, you know, couldn't you change that a little bit? Couldn't you give a little room for other people? Couldn't you kind of, wouldn't it be better in, a, in the environment that we're in? And Peter just stands up and goes, It is better. It is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Even in the situation that you're in. Because our world, even our church world says, we need to relate to the world. We need to relate to the world. But all I read in the Bible is that we are to be radically different than the world. That's what I read in the Bible. We are to be radically different than the world. In gentleness and respect with our relationship of Jesus Christ at the very foremost. But in our world, we are radically different. And he says, it is better. It is better. Worship team, come on up and stand. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. Why, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. Your answer? He lives within my heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, our opportunity to walk through your scriptures. They are challenging, Lord. And we live in a world that is very hostile to you. And you're still saying the same thing to the Christians today. It is better. It is better to suffer doing good, acknowledging you, following in your steps, proclaiming who you are, responding differently than the world is responding to us and having an answer that is solely focused on you. It is better than doing evil. Help us, Lord, to walk in that this day. In thy precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's close with singing the song.